And now, here's this episode of the Elevating IT Podcast, sponsored by Audit. Live. Welcome, everybody. I uh, am here today with, of course, Frank DiBenedetto um, and Eric Burendorf. I hope I pronounced your name right. You got it right. You, you just right. literally told me how to pronounce it. And took four years to, to teach him how to say DiBenedetto. So we got to give him some, you know, some credit here. So. Hey, look, I, I couldn't spell my name until I think freshman year of high school <laughs> and, and couldn't pronounce it right until after that, I'm sure. So it's it's fine. That's awesome. Well, Eric, to, you, you talk. Let, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to everybody so that they know who you are. Sure, sure. Uh, Eric Bjorndorf. I own an IT company, Evernet, in uh, the Lower New England area, based out of Hartford and Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, been doing that for a lot of years, um, fifteen years or so. Um, and that's just that's me. And you are a pilot, which is really cool. Oh my God. When my wife sees this, she's going to laugh hysterically. So there, there's a thing that, um, <laughs> that with, with pilots, it's like, how long, how long does it take before a pilot uh, tells somebody new that he's a pilot, right? But you, you took care of that for me. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, I am a pilot, a private pilot, a lot of a lot of people, um, a lot of normals, as I call them, um, <laughs> you know, you tell them you're a pilot and they immediately think you're driving the buses in the sky. But no, it's um, I am a light private pilot, a, li a licensed private pilot. So essentially recreation. I could I can use it for business per personally, but I can't be hired to fly other people. Um, now, if I wanted to hire you to fly over, say, a specific spot in New Jersey and drop like manure on someone. Could you do that? Like a drop? Uh, yeah, I would have to pay for some of the gas in order for that to be lawful, I think. Um, this is going a lot better than I thought it was going to be headed because I thought you were going to tell me, Eric, that your wife didn't know you were a pilot and Mike just <laughs> on Facebook that. So uh, this, this is significantly better than I thought the path we were about to go down. Oh, so. uh, no, no. She, her and my girls uh, absolutely love flying with me. And in fact, it's, it, you would think that they like to fly more than I do, but uh, there are a lot of MSPs uh, that are, that, you know, it seems like the, the owners took up, uh, you know, flying. Uh, pretty, pretty cool. I, yeah, I, I can really, probably really, name really that. off the top of my head that I know. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I, my, my dad, my grandfather was a naval, uh, a naval pilot. Um, uh, my dad grew up flying in my, in my grandfather's Cessna. Um, I grew up, my dad, you know, was, was, um, like motorcycles so we were a motorcycling family and then when i started having when i started my own family you know i had five motorcycles in the garage and um uh i don't know if i want to tell a story or not but i took my oldest daughter for a ride with my wife so she was sandwiched in between me and my wife on my harley and you know i realize it's socially unpopular but not technically illegal so we just did a little lap around town and of course we stopped next to a, a, a cop at a stoplight and he did what he did one of these you know and he like rolled down the window he's like what are you doing and i'm like well I, you know just 
you know? And he's like, get home. And I'm like, all right. So after that, I was like, you know, I, I can't, you can't really bring a family on motorcycles. So uh, that summer I, I actually liquidated all of them and um, surf flying. Bought a plane. Yeah. Yeah. I get to see that. I, I, you know, we're friends on Facebook, so I keep in touch with you and connected on LinkedIn. And yep. uh, I, I always enjoy watching, you know, seeing the pictures from the beautiful pictures that you take. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty open book on the social side of things. And you know what I started doing recently was I started, um, I started posting personal stuff on LinkedIn because when I look at, when I spend some time on LinkedIn and I see people post, it gets so, it gets so stodgy, you know, it gets so tiring seeing people self-promote professionally and the few people that go out there and kind of put themselves out personally. I think I, I think I appreciate that. And I, and I feel like I value those contributions. I mean, the person, you know, we all have to promote business and ourselves professionally and stuff on that channel, but it's, I feel I like when I see people saying like, hey, here's a little bit of me rather than the business me. And so that's kind of what I've been doing lately. It's rather than just throw a suit and tie on and, you know, say how great I am professionally. I just like to say, like, this is also who I am as a person, you know. I love it. Eric, awesome. how long have you been using uh, Audit for? Just curious. So I think I first, you guys first showed up on my radar I think a, at least a year, right, Mike, before I actually signed up? Um, yeah. Before. Well, the backstory of that is, you know, you kind of, I don't, I think I, I don't remember how we met. Maybe we met in, at an event or, or you came into our list somehow, but I noticed you were like, you know, 40 minutes away from me here in Connecticut. Oh, right. you're, you're in Connecticut? Yeah. Or, yeah, you're in Connecticut too, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm south of you. And um, I think you know, I like, slipped you guys because I usually my I'm I'm a thick headed person sometimes and I feel like I'm always late to the party. And, you know, like when when like I started liking Dave Matthews band when like it was passe and tacky, you know, like I was like three years late to, to Dave, you know, and Nickelback. Um, huh? <laughs> Nickelback too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm like, oh, Nickelback, this great band, and everybody's like, oh, not so much. Um, so, you know, when I, you know, I started my uh, my IT company, you know, when it was we were an ITSP, IT service provider, and then of course the managed service model kind of got, you know, was coming around and things like that. So, um, you know, I don't know if you know, I, I, we use Autotask, um, owned by Datto, for example, and. You know, before uh, we started using Autotask in 2013, and I believe they started the company in 2006. I started my company in 2007. I was running my IT company out of Outlook. If you can imagine, we were storing like user, you know, passwords in the note section of company contact cards. You know, like ugh, some of the stuff we were doing. Um, so I have to suffer from a problem before I look for the solution and i guess that's intuitive in most part but i look around and i feel like there's so many smarter people than me doing smarter things or they're like just they're getting it before me you know but one way or the other i eventually get it and i come around so when i you know we started doing our quarterly business reviews um start promoting those started understanding internally the value of them to our clients you know the problem is that it's hard for me to sell something to my clients unless I buy into it, unless I see the value in it, not just because of my industry peers 
are doing it. Um, and I think that's also a lot of my experience too, is my industry peers um, start doing things before I understand why they're doing it or why, why there's value to doing it. So at any rate, long story short, you know, quarterly business review, the concept of uh, QBR, quarterly business reviews comes around and I start saying, okay, well, we got to do these audits. We got to do information gathering. We have, you know, we had been in the practice at that, at that by the time I found you guys to having rich information collection and storage. And um, we were starting to report on it and things like that. Um, but when I found you guys, I couldn't get my mind wrapped around the paradigm. And I don't know if this is inside baseball, so cut this out if it is in post, Mike. But um, I, I didn't originally, I couldn't, when I first met Mike and, and Audit, I didn't get my mind around the paradigm of the sales presentation tool. And I think you guys still suffer. I see from time to time in the, face, in the IT business owners group on Facebook and some other channels. I think other people also don't get that. Because we're so stuck in we're um, in the network reporting tools like um, I don't know if it's Ovic or Rapid Fire and things like that. So when I first looked at your demo, like I was like, "Where's the data gathering agent that I install on the server?" You know what I mean? Um, and poor Mike, I think it was Mike that was like, "That's not how this works," you know. And I just my brain was like hitting the brick wall, and that's what sometimes happens. I'm thick like that. So, um, so anyways, I don't mean to drone on. So I, I found I was looking for a tool that would help me quantify my clients, um, what I call the state of the state. You know what I mean? Um, like the where they are, where they should be, where they've come from, that sort of thing. In in the context of the services, products and services and support that we provide for them. Um, so anyways, I found you guys, you know, I let my fingers do the walk into the internet, found you guys, found uh, rapid fires, found some other things like that. Um, back then, you know, hundred bucks a month or whatever the, the subscription was, you know, is not an insignificant fee where it's not something that I consider or don't consider. So I wasn't, I wasn't, um, compelled or I, I think it was more mostly me like I didn't get the paradigm at the time so um, I met Mike and then I trialed it and then I kind of moved on and then I think it was maybe a year or two later I reconnected with Mike and I, I solicited you guys and I, I kind of I had this problem which is I needed to quantify the state of the state for my client and I had to deliver and report on this and uh, for and for prospective clients and then that's when that's when it clicked for me so again, that's me like, you know, Nickelback, that was my Nickelback moment. Um, so what was, what was that experience like the first time you, you used the report? Um, like how did it, uh, obviously you're still with us, so it must've been positive, but tell me about the first time you used it and what the, uh, what the outcome was. Well, the looks, well, so like once I had the aha moment, it, it so I'm an off, I'm the world's worst salesperson. <laughs> I, I I can only sell things that I believe in, that I understand, that I see that bring value to my clients. Um, so once I had that aha moment, I saw the power that I could leverage from the tool. And then um, 
I uh, did my first uh, one with my client. Uh, it was in person. We were in their conference room, you know, and I saw this document that I was creating for them that was bringing value to them and strengthening my relationship with them. And it was just like, I mean, you, you know, you can't, of course you can put a price on anything, but that's where, that's where was the, that aha moment with that experience with seeing the clients, um, you know, um, it's not that they were impressed because, you know, like IT, I don't know what clients you guys have, but none of the executives or business managers that I interface with, like, get real excited about the the work that we do together per se. They're, we're like the water company for them. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they want to open the tap and have water come out. You know what I mean? They want to like sit down at their computers and just have it work. They don't want to like geek out with me on, on like reports and ticket counts and SLAs and success rates and failures. They just want to know like, how many red blocks do I have? How many, you know, how much is it going to cost me to get to the green blocks? You know, and then, you know, and I, and when their eyes glaze over or they, you know, check their watch twice in five minutes, that's when, you know, I start talking faster and I start wrapping things up. <laughs> um, but during the first meeting, you know, they didn't nah, have, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, you know how to sell. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. But during the first meeting, bringing in the audit report, um, I had less of that, like, uh, I could tell there was less dread, and I hate to say that's the measure of success, but um, they had less dread when they looked at the report to go, because the report is very digestible for a lay person, um, which is really, you guys you guys really hit it out of the park with that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great tool. Um, you know, I, if you ask the poor folks at Datto community, um, you know, I have something to say about everything. Um, so I'm, I'm Mr. Feedback. My, my staff laugh at me because when some, when a software doesn't do what you intuitively expect it to do, or, you know, it, or it's falling short of doing something that could bring huge value to our workflows. Um, you know, I'm always like feature requests, you know, get those feature requests, you know, because the post Steve Ballmer, Bill Gates era, you know, something changed in software development and, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, but, you know, software these days is user driven. Now. You know, the, the software, you know, you guys remember, we would just get the new version and that's what the developers told us we wanted, you know what I mean? And we would, and we would say, thank you, sir, may I have another, but now you got the software development a good software house really partners with the community, their community, and brings the tool that um, that the community needs and wants. And so, you know, I'm looking forward. Hopefully, one day you guys will integrate with Autotask and the PS, the, you know, the PSA leaders out there. It'd be great to just have that that um, you know data flow right into that. Um, it's coming. I was just testing it the other day, actually. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, you know, I. I always complain to, to, to Datto because, or Autotask, because their name is somehow a misnomer. Um, as Autotasky as they think they are, there's some things that are not so auto. Um, like you can't create a ticket from their work their uh, workflow engine, for example, which seems like, you know, my, blows my mind. But for you guys, for example, like you guys should run, a, run the... Um, you know, you're, you guys should run that scheduler. You guys should have a scheduler, right? And then you should, we should be able to have somehow 
um, you know, subscribe certain accounts to QBRs and you guys have a scheduler. And if it launched the ticket and then we could use Autotask's um, workflow engine to route that to the respective resource, then, you know, that's huge value there. So I'll just, we were, we were testing that too. There's a whole QBR calendar built in um, oh. scheduler, the ability to, uh, to pull the contract value and to set up a, a business review schedule. So if you say, Hey, um, if, if it's under a thousand dollars, uh, agreement value, then we want to do an annual review. If it's between a thousand and 2,500, we're going to do quarter or semi-annually. Right. Oh, so cool. that way you set up your, uh, whatever your default schedule is. And then when you pull the uh, the audit T in from the PSA, ConnectWise, or Autotask, um, and soon Kaseya, um, you'll be able to um, apply that QBR logic automatically, and it'll set up the business reviews for you. And then awesome. also reminders, um, you'll be able to see them on, on the calendar. You'll be able to associate the appointment with the business review, be able to add notes to the audit items, to the audit T, um, and the audit. So you'll be able to tie all the notes back into that. Cool. Uh, real nice and neat. So yeah, there, we're, we're testing all the functionality. It's, uh, it's almost, uh, almost completed. We're just doing, uh, some, that's cool. Uh, some are you guys, would, are you guys still struggling with conveying the message to future prospective customers that it's a, it's not a rapid fires tool and information gatherer reporter or is that are you guys finding that to be a challenge anymore in i don't think so i think that you know the, the only reason why it was a challenge in the beginning was because we created a software category that didn't exist uh, right 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 so, so there was an education process for us to say no no we we're not a data collection tool we never set out to replace a rapid fire or a right. line art or an avic uh, we, we were the presentation layer that was, was missing. I had all the tools, right? right I had right. more tools than I knew what to do with. My right. problem was, is all these data points coming at me from all over some source manually. Like there's, there's nothing that in my mind, in my opinion, that replaces a, a, a good old discovery session with a prospect because you're building that rapport. And I believe that's, that's when the sale is made, right? All the tools you use to gather all the data, that's kind of a formality that we have to go through. I believe you can do a better job forensically after they're your client, right? So the challenge is, is how do I source enough things initially without putting them through some crazy forensic process and right. then how you present? So you touched on, um, like, what do we do? to uh, be able to present to them in such a way where, where they're actually leaning forward and they want to know, like, what does this mean, right? Capture that current state. And then, and only then, can you show them, hey, this is the future state and we can close that gap. Right. This is what it's going to take. So right. that's what we struggled with. So the education process for us was, was around teaching that concept, right? We, we, we said right from day one, you have all the data collection tools that you could possibly need. You don't need right. to install out there. What you need is some, some way to simply sell all this stuff. And every year that's gone by, it's only gotten more complicated. There's a new widget service, a gadget, you know, I can, I can remember in, you know, off the top of my head in four short years, you know, we, we didn't have uh, dark web monitoring, now we do in a bunch of formats. We didn't have security awareness training, now we do in multiples, right? We didn't have the um, the managed threat detections like 
uh, like the huntresses of the world that didn't exist. Um, right. uh, we didn't have a uh, threat locker or black point, like all these. So it's only getting more complicated. Data has added a ton of new things, you know, SAS data protection. Like we weren't, we weren't doing cloud to cloud backup five years right. ago. So how do you sell all these different things or how do you show a prospect that, Hey, you're not doing this right without confusing them using battle cards and all that. So that's really what it is for us. So I think um, I I can tell you, Michael probably agree. A lot of vendors, especially the ones that we love are channel only, right? Because they don't sell direct, like not like Dell, right? So data is a perfect example. So if they don't buy a data from you, they're never going to Amazon and buying it, you know, direct and, and bypassing us as the MSP. So we are right in the middle of the supply chain vendor to MSP to the end end consumer. So what we started to do is, is we over the years have gotten the attention of more and more vendors who have helped peddle our message. And I think that's helped us change, you know, the education side of it to being where it wasn't like one MSP at a time. Now it's one vendor at a time and the vendor tells all their partners and the vendor might have a, 500 or a thousand or a couple thousand MSPs, right? So our message um, is is being told at a grander scale, and I think it's it's been easier for us to. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're on the edge. You know, where the, where the value is and where we fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's um, you know when you ask that question, Eric, that's always was the first. And I'm going to talk more. I'm going to bring it back to what our conversation is. Right, our conversation topic has been objections, and and it's. Anytime a person has a question in the process, it's an objection, right? And and people, I think, and me and you had this conversation. I love the way you handle objections, Eric. You kind of said you don't handle them because you're you're talking about them before they come up, and and that's the trick with you know objections are kind of like a dirty word, right? Or people get scared of the the, you know, the idea of, of dealing with objections. But all an objection is is a question that somebody has, and you can answer it in a couple of different ways. Like when somebody used. I used to go to shows all the time and, and in, in the early days and people would ask exactly what you asked is, um, so are you guys like rapid fire? It was the most question we'd always get. And the first thing I would do is just say, you know, why do you ask? You know, and, and I would want to I'd look for more information to understand why they're asking that question. It's a lot of times people are, you, you know, I guess you if you're not prepared for that question or you're not thinking about it from a sales perspective, you might think, well, this person's here because they want to, they think we're the competitor to rapid fire. They want us to get rid of it, but really they use rapid fire and they don't want to have to stop using rapid fire. They want to know if this works with it. So it's, it's understanding why people are asking it and then telling the story, which is what Frank just did. Frank knows that's, you know, talked about how we, we created that category and he's got it really dialed into on the, um, on what it means from a value and benefit perspective, as opposed to a feature perspective. So a, a great, that was a great um, example of dealing with objections. So. Yeah. I mean, when you asked me to, to be on the show with you guys, you know, I, um, the, the biggest thing in life I think I dislike is when people waste my time. <laughs> um, time is the one thing that um, you can't get more of. Everybody knows that. And um, the exchange of, you know, I know I, I very rarely exchange my time for money, even these days, um, personally. Um, so I didn't want to waste you guys' time. So when you asked me, 
um, how I deal with objections. You know, my answer to you, Mike, was I don't, I'm not, a, I don't do a hard sale. You know, when we, when we have a new pr uh, prospective client reach out to us, um, it's because they, they knew that they had a need that we, we may or very likely can solve. Um, so when I, you know, I've been doing this for so long that when I present, um, and I don't want to bore you guys with some of that history, but we basically, I changed, I did a major transformation of the company, um, basically within the last three years where we basically said that we know, we know what our clients need. Um, the best client for us is the client who trusts and values us to deliver that for them. Um, rather than the client who wants to spar with us on best practices and any sort of knowledge they purport to bring to the table, you know, um, if that makes any sense. Um, so we do sell things, but I would say we're not salespeople. You know, we, we, we're not, I always make the joke, I don't know where I heard it, but we're not selling ketchup popsicles to Eskimos here. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're selling the things that, that bring value and capital to our clients. So, um, when you asked, uh, you know, we're talking about objections today, um, you know, if a client or a prospective client um, has a question, I, I, I love educating my clients. Not that I like to be the know-it-all because I'm certainly fine with learning from other people too. Um, but if I get the objection, like um, I had a prospect call me, uh, reach out to me this week and she runs a pretty good accounting firm um, across multiple states. She has a West Coast presence, an East Coast presence, and she, she started talking to me about rolling out um, a, a robust data sharing platform. And of course, you know, there's so many to choose from. I mean, you know, I don't, we're vendor agnostic, but we did, we have standardized on the Office 365 uh, suite because, you know, I think the value is, is so is there's huge value there you know um so then we go go down this rabbit hole i said where's your email hosted you know where's your you know are you using teams for communication you know you know sharepoint data library uh, collaborating with office word that sort of uh, hosted word and things like that and we so then it just kind of devolved into like this like well i don't you know the opinions about companies and things like that i said you know so i'm like i i you know, you tell me what system you want us to deploy, we'll deploy it for you. If you're asking me, you know, what system we think brings you the most value and capital to your business, this is the one we think, you know. So objections, I don't really, um, you know, I just don't spend a lot of time on uh, hard objections because I'm not the hard sale, you know what I mean, um, if that makes any sense. So I just was afraid that I, was, I didn't want to waste your time today in, in this, you know, and if you know talking about it in the, in that context i guess if that makes sense oh, not at all and everybody deals with objections you deal with them even if you don't think you do because if you're not getting them then you're you're a couple reasons right like number one you're either the lowest price solution which i don't think you are no. um if or you are answering them before they ask them which is Pro right what you want to do right so awesome good stuff yeah. So are you, you, you know, and you're integrate, you've integrated audit into your, um, into your process. How has, you know, with COVID and everything, have you been out there doing a lot of sales presentations or how's that going for you? Not a single in-person meeting and presentation since, uh, March. 
Uh, well, virtual. Have you been doing any virtual? Yep, virtual. Yep, we've been delivering the QBRs virtually, um, and that has been uh, a really positive experience. We we started rolling out our security awareness training um, virtually, and um, you know, save for a few old fuddy duddies and carry carryovers, um, I just it, you know, it, it's just amazing that. Um, you know, I decentralize our company. Frank, do you guys still have a central office that people move their bodies to at 8 a.m. every more every day and then leave at we, 7? We do. I've only been there uh, about six times in six <laughs> months. Uh, yeah, I, I went there uh, last, uh, actually, I went there earlier this week to make sure it was still standing. But yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, I mean, listen, I, we had an office in Hartford uh, for when we first started, and I commuted into Hartford and traffic, and then um, we just moved to, and then I moved, I got tired of driving into the city every morning. And then, um, I moved us to a suburb in Rocky Hill, South of Hartford for, for the next 10 years or so. And, um, I was again, starting a family and, you know, wanting to be, you know, more available to my family. So I basically wanted to work from home. And I said to the staff in 2017, um, you know, all the techs, all the technical resources were. Um, we're in the field, you know, 80% of the time, 50, 60, 70, 80% of the time anyways. And of course, as a company, we were leveraging remote work, work from home tools and processes, um, to deal with snow days and super storms, this and that. Um, so it was really just some admin staff that were really commuting. So anyways, in 2017, summer of 2017, I put it to the staff. I said, um, you know, how do you guys feel about working from home exclusively? And um, all but two people were like, yeah, hell yeah. Um, and so I said, okay. So I locked the office that June and then everybody worked from home. Of course, we were all ready for it. The two people that didn't like it um, soon uh, exited the organization uh, on their own volition. They were not pushed or asked to leave. They just it didn't fit with the culture that they valued anymore. And we have since replaced them with people who do value the culture. So in March of uh, you know COVID uh, 2020, um, you know we were we were all scared, very sad for people who were losing um, you know businesses and family people or family members. But it was a little hard to not you know feel a little smug that we were you know prepared. We were we were incredibly prepared because by 2020 we we were well you know prepared for work from home. So seeing I so I I'm sorry. I always lead with a huge backstory when I just tell you one little piece. I'm sorry, it's a problem. Um, point being is when we started delivering QBRs, security training, um, remotely through Zoom, and we we use um, we actually use Teams. Teams is up has is playing catch up with Zoom to do the sessionless or userless um, connections and meetings and things. Um, but seeing the uh, novelty in the look in my client's eyes, you know, was was charming. Of course, we knew that we could we could have done this for years. You know what I mean? Um, right. But it was um, it was it's you know the the presentation lends itself very well. I uh, the product that you guys have, Audit IT, lends itself very well to um, you know remote presentation. So that's been nice. Yeah, I've got to uh, got to be able to pivot. I think, and uh, I, I know for me, I don't know sure if you you found this hard, but like doing business reviews was was dreadful because 
I could tell the client didn't enjoy it. They felt like uh, no matter what I came in with, it was a reason for me to sell something to them. And we hear that from a lot of, uh, of MSPs who they kind of talk about the process. Like it's not something that they want to get involved with or really do. And I think it's because of what they've, what they've done in the past, right? Whoever decided to teach MSPs to show up with, you know, mountains of, uh, of ticket reports and tech data, um, I think, really did them a disservice because the clients uh, you mentioned it like they want the water right they don't need to know how the how the plumbing's made or what the water company's doing to get the water there they just know they pay and they turn it on and it works um i think that the first time we started using these the, this report format in business reviews i i could tell you clients would say to me why weren't we using this all along and i didn't want to tell them because i had to create it because it didn't exist but uh, that was some of the original validation that what we were doing and, and that report was the right thing. And I was client number one for this. I, I was the one who tested it. But, you know, you fast forward today and um, I'm in a position, Mike points this out all the time. I'm in a, a position where I know within reason, like what my client's threshold is. Like if I think something's important to roll out, but I can't get to them because you know we have about 91 clients that pay us MRR every month. So as we do these reviews, it's just physically impossible, you know, for for our team to get to every one of them. Maybe it might take, let's say, four to six months to go through an entire, you know, 90 some odd clients. Well, imagine you're like the client in month six that you didn't know about this stuff for five months, and you're like, you didn't tell me that you were using a product like threat locker or, or something, right? So what I'll do many times is I'll add it right onto their, their bill. So it might add two, two, three dollars a month to like a managed workstation. And then if they question it, it gives me an opportunity to say, well, let me show you what your business review, this, this was gonna be red. Right. I can remove it, it it's green now, I can remove it and turn it back red and your bill will adjust by 60 bucks for the month. And they're like, no, no, no. And so I, so I don't know if this falls into the category of, you know, it's better to, you know, to beg for forgiveness and ask permission. But this is because I have been doing this process with clients for, for a period of time that the client gets used to it. So if I show up and say, hey, I haven't seen you in six months, but this, is, this alarm's been going off, it's been red. And I just didn't get a chance to tell you about it. They would look at me like, like, that's a, yeah, you're negligent. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then of course, what do they say to you? Well, how much is it? Yeah. Oh, that, that's three bucks a month. You have, you know, 20 workstations. It would have been $60 a month. They're like. Frank, it, it, one of the reasons why I like you is I feel like you're like, you're like a brother in the foxhole with me. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I, view the various conversations that are happening among our colleagues in various forums, um, Facebook, uh, Facebook has a few groups for the IT business owners and whatnot. Um, and I see, I see some of the business owners there that really tread lightly on the, that billing relationship with their, with their clients. I mean, I used to do that. I mean, I was, Jesus, I think for the first eight to 10 years I was in business, I never raised my rates. My costs were going up, but I never raised my rates. And this was what I was telling you guys earlier in the conversation that about three years ago, maybe four, um, I mean, almost out of necessity, I almost went bankrupt because I was my, you know, 
you can make a couple million a year, but if you're spending exactly what you're making or $1 more, um, it's why you're, you're not making any money. So why do it? You know? Um, so the decision we made was to know who we are and know where our value proposition was to our clients. And, and, and also like, it's very important what you described it, the, the trust relationship that we build in, with our clients is what allows us to do what you described. Right. So if we were to pussyfoot around and not move the needle um, because we were afraid of that conversation, we would actually be doing our client a disservice. Right. So, so, but that really takes, I mean, for me, I don't want to speak for you. For me, it took a lot of years of doing business to realize that, Sometimes the right thing to do can be a painful thing to do. But then what I also realized is if you, I mean, if you keep doing the right thing, um, you will continue to curate clients and part, when I say partner, partner, clients who partner with you in their needs, you know? So, um, and then they will see that you were acting in their best interest, that two or $3 a, a month. I mean, in our case, we, we had to right size a few contracts over the past 24 months that amounted to considerable increases to a couple clients. Increases, they won't see that met, that that relative increase again because we've since right sized the contracts. But we had to um, we 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 had to risk alienating ourselves for, from a number of clients because we finally figured out what our cost burdens were, what our what our what our market position was. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trailing off again. No, but don't you think, though, that like the realization that you had was was you finally realizing that you were inside of your own head? Because I think that many of us not being um, uh, sales salespeople, like a lot of MSPs are not, you know, hey, um, we started this and I hired three salespeople. It's usually the the tech owner. Right. Right. And we don't love selling. And I'm like you, I don't want the hard sell. Um, you get inside of your head. You know what? I really don't want to go to my client and tell them I'm going to raise their rates by five five dollars a month during during COVID. And uh, right. you know, so I'm not going to do it. I did exactly that. And on April first, um, you know, we raised our rates because I added uh, two two products, Huntress and Third Wall, yeah. uh, into my stack. And I did it. I had been I had been looking at it, but I also did it because I knew everyone was going to scatter and be remote, and I want to make sure my clients are protected. So I got out of my head. But I think what this tool allows you to do is you can help the client make a educated buying decision without it making feel like them feel like you're selling them or you feel like you're selling them. Right? If right. I if you show up and like another example, I have a few clients that have a lot of users and I, I know their email signatures are all crazy. Right. So I identified, Hey, I can make like a dollar a month by doing office 365 automated email signatures. real easy. Right. There's a cool value add there. So I throw that in. it's not red, it's not critical, but I thought it in there's yellow. Right. And in a business review setting, when you're this close from the finish line, so if you're at like a 99 and you know, your goal is to get to a hundred and all of a sudden it clicks down to a 97, you are highly motivated to do whatever it would take to get you to that hundred, right? And it's psychological. So somebody's like, wow, that makes great sense. You know, it's really cool. And I always say I'm a wizard at getting the client to pay for stuff that's good for them and <laughs> makes it easier for me to do my job, right? 
and I make a dollar or, or, or something doing it. Right. So um, that's what I like. That's what auto allows me to do. It's actually fun. I say, Hey, you know, your signature, you got 60 people in your company, your signatures are like a mess. How do you guys handle that? We just tell everybody like, Hey, here's the logo and you know, right, emails right. and stuff. And uh, all of a sudden they're like, wow, this is awesome. It's easy for our team to do. And one thing, you know, Mike and I talked about, like how many endpoints or how many, uh, how many endpoints do you support right now through all the time? We are, I would say over a thousand, but less than 2,000. All right. So let's call it 1500, right? You could find something that if you rolled out to every endpoint and you made just $1, you just netted an extra $1,500 a month, right? Right. And so if you only have, you know, a hundred endpoints, maybe the math isn't, isn't as exciting, but if you're, if you're becoming and you're at a more mature level, and I think that the MSPs that do really well with audit probably have a thousand to 2000 endpoints and, and more, but I think that's probably like a sweet spot MSP. Um, it works really well because you could play that game all day long where you are finding a product that's a benefit to the client that helps you do a better job as the MSP. And you're going to make a dollar or some multiple of that at the end. And you do that across the base of clients, which is why the reviews are important because you're selling into that base. Right, you know what else right. loves this? The vendors love it, right? Because the vendors like, holy cow, all of a sudden, like if you're Huntress, you're like, how, how did that guy sell, you know, 1500 endpoints in one month when it takes our other partners two years to do that? Cause you're, selling it like one endpoint at a time right right i'm like no we're gonna get this out there right now and and again that that's some of the mentality that we we teach and and, and employ and as, as as more msps understand that what they do is they stop coming off of the how do you get the data in there right well you have to that's why you get paid as the msp because you're smart you're gonna put the data in there right the data itself become starts to become less important of the focus and what we're doing is empowering you as the msp to do a better job to take care of that client and who ultimately benefits the client so you right, said right. Uh, a brother in the foxhole and i love that and here's the reason why when i would or in the early days before audit i would go in to a prospect and you'll probably agree with this our best prospects are some other msp's client right because they're already paying yeah, somebody monthly right. so we don't have to fight the Hey, I pay zero now. You know, now you should pay me two thousand dollars, right? So right, they're already right. paying somebody. So I would go in, and they'd be showing me things, and I would be so disappointed, thinking that one of my brothers, right, in the foxhole, is is this is how you left this, right? And yeah, that yeah. prospect has no idea. You know, kind of, I mean, clearly we're there. They have some problems, but usually they have no idea how bad it is. And then I, I would leave and I would think to myself, why is that? Is it because there's no good products and services in our industry? Of course not, right? We're, we're flooded with it. So, what, so what's the problem? Clearly, this guy wants to buy something. That's why I'm there and I'm doing the audit. So what's the issue? The issue is, is the MSP isn't good at selling or, or, or effective at selling. So well, no, it's not, honestly, it's, sometimes I feel like it's like the opposite. I feel like sometimes they're better at selling than organizing the delivery of the solutions. Maybe, but either way, what's happening is is the the, the client isn't buying, right? And right. who suffers at the end is that client. Like at the end of the day, I go, well, you know, if I don't get your business, I'm not going to go out of business because I don't get a two thousand dollar a month client. I think, but you could go out of business because you have no idea. You don't know what you don't know. So look, when we came back, we said, and that's 
uh, you know, how we came up with the, with the, the name of this podcast too, Elevating IT. It was if we empowered the MSP to be in a better position to, to sell and allow their client to make a buying decision, those clients would be buying those products and services that they need. And they're the ones who are ultimately the beneficiary of it, right? Right, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, like if, if Datto has a backup product and we fail to sell that to our client, they say no. When there is a problem, who suffers? Well, Datto's like, yeah, I missed out on some margin and we missed out on some money. But who's really stuck is the client that didn't buy it because they didn't understand it or, or maybe your presentation didn't work. So that's kind of how you know, we teach this and, and why we're passionate, because I like to be able to elevate the quality of IT by empowering MSPs like yours to be able to sell better. That's, that's where that my comment was rooted in that, because it's, it's nice to, um, when I first started this, you know, the start of the company, it was, you, you never, you never spoke to the co competitor, you never collaborated with a competitor. Um, you know, and it was very standoffish. I never liked that about my industry, our industry. Um, I even thought so much of starting a, an association back in the um, early 2000s, but I just, you know, was busy running my own company. But um, I started, I joined a peer group um, uh, a few, a number of years ago. Um, I don't want to give free advertisement, but uh, you, you probably know who he is. Um, he, goes, he runs peer groups, great guy, great groups. And it was so nice. It was a breath of fresh air to see just see other pe people who were technically competitors, but were brother brothers in arms, if you will, yeah. uh, that were that could be collaborators. So my hats off to you that you're running an IT, you know, successful MSP IT company, delivering great products. But you know, of course, who who better to be positioned to build a great tool that will facilitate that for you know um, than you? So. And we're in the trenches and, and you know there's a model there too i i mean i didn't set out this wasn't my uh my original mission my my model was selfish is was to help me sell I, I actually before before i joined uh before i signed on with autotask in the early 2000s i was like I, i'm gonna i gotta build my own tool i gotta build my own database i, I gotta get out of outlook you know um i even use other products from other um that serve other industries um but uh yeah, so I give you kudos to, to that for, yeah. for doing that too. It's it must have been a heavy lift. I remember, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, in, in like the first year, we were trying to get it out there, and they Mike used to call them Frank deals. I would like I'd be practically giving it away, and and a bunch of them were local MSPs in New Jersey. And Mike's sure. like, "You're crazy! Like, what are you doing?" And I said, "You know, I I just I want to see you know the industry." just be successful with this. And, uh, you know, I said, and, you know, if I was in competition, I would just tell mom that I created it. So you should go with me. But hey, they speculate that Microsoft took off because they, they were so easily pirated, you know, so and yeah. you got to, you got to get it out. You got to get people's hands. You got to show the value, right? I mean, it's all about showing value. If you show the value, I mean, look at me. I mean, I eventually signed up for the product. Um, I'm going to keep submitting my feature requests to you guys. Yeah, um, keep them coming. I mean, it's already shown value, and and uh, it's a great tool. I'm happy you guys exist, I'm, and I I hope the development stays with it. Uh, if you ever need uh, any feedback, let me know. <laughs> well, thanks, Eric, and thank you guys for uh, thank you thank you for coming on, Eric. First of all, this was great. This was a, I think he were he was Eric's the first guest we've had on the show. Hey, I'll take I'll take I'll take the benchmark. If you guys ever if you want me to be a, a recurring guest, um, you know I'm always happy to talk about myself. 
So uh, <laughs> that's a joke. That was a joke. Um, but yeah, I've always been interested. You know, I keep I keep kicking. I was telling you, Mike. I I, I always I'm. I've been kicking this around, kicking the idea around of starting a channel, starting a podcast. I mean, I like Do talking it. about business and our trade and, and technology. I love talking about those things, but um, I'm not much of an audio video geek. So, you know, doing studios and intros and outros, you know, it's, I'm just not sure I have the mind for that. But we'll never, if you ever need me to come around again, um, be happy to do it. Appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Frank. And uh, everybody, We'll see you on the next episode of the Elevating IT podcast and the weekly sales wrap. Take care, guys. Nice meeting you, Frank. Likewise. Thanks, Art. Thanks, Mike.